Hi, everybody. It's Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have Matt Morgan, who's an advisor to Canverse Technologies, which is a cannabis uh, marketplace that is operating and focused on the metaverse going as a means of delivery to the consumer going forward. Matt, tell us a bit about yourself. You, you know, Canvas is one of the many things you're involved in, but uh, you came came to this through a through an interesting route. Yeah, so um, you know, originally I'm a farm boy from Montana. I grew up on my grandparents' farm. Um, you know, was uh, kind of a, a hellion growing up and had a hard time holding a normal job. <laughs> um, thank God. Yep. Yep. And uh, you know, started reading a lot of books in high school. Started my first little auto detail shop when I was uh, a junior in high school, sixteen. Ran that after school and on the weekends and full time in the summer. Um, started reading a lot of books. You know, Rich Dad Poor Dad, Think and Grow Rich, some Tony Robbins stuff, and it just really reprogrammed my mind on how to think about things and kind of how to think outside the box of, that they want you to live inside of. Right. Um, went to college for ten days and uh, decided to drop out. Um, from there, it's funny, I was watching uh, Ryan Reynolds on David Letterman the other day in his, uh, his interview, and he said he went to his first class and dropped out about five <laughs> minutes in. So somebody beat you to it. <laughs> he's a lot smarter than I, and you know, I guess he's a quicker learner, but it took me 10 days to figure it out. <laughs> um, so uh, from there, I, you know, to a, my family was very upset, obviously. I would have been one of the first people to graduate from college. And so I became an electrician apprentice, which they loved. But after about uh, a year and a half on the job side of construction, uh, the negativity, and I was in a union even. So the negativity really got to me and I finally resigned it's, uh, after a year and a half. From there, my father got me uh, a course to get my real estate license. And um, I, uh, you know, I went and did that and decided I wanted to become a real estate agent. And um, it uh, was very challenging at first. I was 20 years old. I looked like I was 12 years old and I was swimming in suits that I borrowed from my grandfather's uh, closet. So right. I had a tough go at real estate early on, but I, I kind of picked up my, you got my feet under me after about six months, I closed my first deal, started closing deal after deal and built a robust, uh, small real estate business and became the managing partner of uh, my firm at 22. Um, and I was overextended working with developers, you know, thought the faucet would never shut off. Then 2008 came around and I lost everything. So I went from buying a $700,000 house on my 22nd birthday to living in my friend's basement with $150 to my name. Um, good times. So that was my trial by fire on economic cycles. And uh, it really, uh, really instilled things into me. Uh, from there, I was like, all right, you know, what's the next big thing? There's got to be, there's got to be another huge run coming at some point, you know, uh -huh. obviously this was subprimes real estate. And so after months of research, I um, decided to go all in on medical cannabis for a lot of reasons. And uh, so in Montana, I ended up building a, a large cultivation over time. Failed miserably at first, just to let you know. I, I couldn't grow, you know, a weed. Um, and so no I, pun I intended there. Yeah, no pun intended <laughs> there. And uh, it, I just didn't have a green thumb. I, I'm, I'm a quick learner, which is good. And I um, over the next couple of years, I ended up partnering with a guy, and we built one of the largest cultivations in the state. Um, was doing like eight million in, in revenue, I think like a million EBITDA, and then Montana came in in 2010 and said, "Well, this program's getting out of control. We're going to shut it down." Uh, and they the only state to ever reverse their uh, their legislation and laws, and so you, they made it so you could only grow up to 12 or 18 plants actually. And I was growing like 3,500, so I just shut the shuttered the whole thing. You know, we had like three million invested or something, and I packed up my Silverado and drove to Arizona and. Right. Um, Arizona's rolling out a limited was the first limited license state. That yeah, Arizona's really done a done a tremendous amount 
along the way. And it's, uh, you know, one of the examples a lot of people point to in the U.S. as being really well done. So, you know, today, though, you're combination of in cannabis and technology and yeah so i'll just i'll just speed up a little bit i, I ended up building about a billion dollars worth of cannabis companies from 2011 to 2019 um you know by i was named number one 40 in cannabis by a lot of publications i took a lot of well-known brands to market like that you would know about like uh, khalifa kush with wiz mm-hmm. um ignite with ambles Zarian. uh and so yeah, obviously my background uh, was worked very well for this new technology play. Luckily, I started dabbling heavily into crypto in 2016, right. so I'm extremely versed in the blockchain and metaverse, all things metaverse as well. So I kind of have the perfect storm of skill sets for what this company was trying to accomplish, and that's when they came to me and said, "Hey, can you you know take some of your bandwidth and really help us out here?" And you know we're talking about cannabis now. Um, and I looked at it. I was like, yeah, I, I have some ideas on how I think this works. So we sat down and put the pencil to paper. And essentially what I what my vision was, was we need. OK, there's a couple things in cannabis that, that are not copacetic. First of all, it's, it, it's almost impossible to market a cannabis company correctly due to the confines of it being a schedule one narcotic. Sure. It's extremely challenging. I mean. A lot of times you can't get billboards, you can't get print ads, God forbid, you can't get Google AdWords. You, you know, I've had probably 50 social media accounts deleted for posting cannabis pictures. Right. So it's like they do everything in their power to shut you down when the state's saying it's okay to do and the Fed's saying we're not, we're silent on it at this point. Uh-huh. So Candleland could be this magical digital representation of a world where you can advertise and promote and market however you so choose and not have the powers that be telling you no. That's number one. Number right. two, current online shopping experiences in cannabis are, they're horrendous. Um, you look at a page of some old dried up bud and you click on something because the name sounds familiar and you pray to God that something decent shows up. It's like Russian roulette. So my vision, I've had this for a long time actually because I always try to be on the cutting edge of, of what's next in, you know, in business, specifically cannabis. Right. And I'm like, what, how, this, how the cannabis, in my opinion, is going to change is Less and less people are leaving their houses, first of all. Right. And Amazon has proved this. Amazon's revenues and market cap are going through the roof because people are ordering everything through their ease of use app. It's getting dropped off on their door the next day or the following. Of course. I mean, the whole world shifted that way, especially during the pandemic, right? It's like one-click purchase, get my groceries, get my clothes, get my – I mean, if people could put their gas in their car that way, they would. Which could be very expensive. But – um, you know, and I'm guilty. I'm as guilty as anybody. I walk through my house and click buttons on Amazon all day when I see something that's, you know, running out. Right. Right. And I, I shop at Whole Foods online. It gets delivered to my house the next day. So I'm as guilty as anybody by adding more to the bottom line for Amazon. But because it's, it's the most efficient way to move forward when you're gathering consumables. Um, so why not have an immersive shopping experience for cannabis consumers? Why not have an avatar in a Candleland where you can walk around you can tour cultivations that are digital representations of real cultivation because everybody wants to be a fly on the wall behind the scenes in cannabis, whether that's an extraction lab, whether that's a cultivation. I know because I've given hundreds of tours in the 200,000 square foot indoor facility that I built in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's, um, you give these people kind of a, a digital representation of what they can, you know, what it looks like behind the scenes. And not only that, they can go into their favorite dispensary with their avatar and you actually have a, a virtual reality dispensary that looks like the real thing. You can go in there, pick up items, look at them, spin them around. 
actually see what you're working with, probably over time with augmented reality, you'll be able to smell the products from, from the comfort of your home. You know, I mean, that's, that's just kind of where technology is going. It's crazy what I've seen. Um, and so they can, they can shop, do what they want. And then, you know, hours or a day, or I would say the same day, the product will get delivered um, to their doorstep. And what you're doing is just creating a more, you know, user-friendly, um, immersive experience for the consumer so that they right. can get back to Because retail shopping releases a lot of dopamine for a lot of consumers. And if we can kind of almost emulate that through a VR type of experience with, uh, with you know, Caniverse, then, then why not? No, absolutely. But, let, you know, I, it's the challenge with that, of course, must be, you know, because you're not allowed to advertise and because there's a lot of things you're not allowed to do in through traditional media and through the traditional channels is creating a similar facility online, but, you know, through it, through its own dis distinct channel going to still run afoul and create different issues. And well, I'd like to come back to that after we have to take a short break. Okay. We're going to be back with Matt Morgan, um, in just a minute on The Green Peak, I'm Richard Zwicky. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on The Green Peak with Matt Morgan, uh, who's an advisor to Canaverse Technologies. And Matt, you know, you laid up really nicely um, what, you know, and how you see Canaland and the cannabis metaverse as a marketplace, giving consumers the ability to, you know, see and understand the product in ways they haven't been able to before, but also without having to necessarily leave their homes and to make the buy experience a bit more personalized in some ways and more, you know, more in depth. But one of the things that you raised was a reason for this to exist is because the cannabis companies can't advertise today and that ads and social media networks and everything else keep getting shut down. How is this going to be different? Or is this going to just create a different problem along the way? And I'm not asking that a negative because, I, you know, I believe in the metaverse, but it's obviously, you know, if it was a problem on a billboard, it's the same thing if it's digital. Why? Well, you, you control the servers that Candleland sits on. No one can shut you down. Sure. But there's, yep. no, there's no metaverse police that are going to come tell you to take a cannabis billboard now. No, there aren't today. But if it's running it'll follow over the laws, is it going to be a problem in the future? But like when I have my own cannabis website, no one ever tells me to take that down. It's because true. you're not sitting on someone else's platform. Very true. No, no, I, I agree with you on that. I'm just looking now, at it from the perspective. What, Richard, I'll bring up one potential issue, which is what if someone goes, what if someone lives in Colorado and goes into a, dis, a digital dispensary in Oregon and then orders that product? You got, you're going to have to box it out for a while until the United States gets its crap together. Yep. Um, so you're only going to be able to order from stores that occupy your state for the time being. Over time, 15 years down the road, I foresee that you shop at any store you want and a drone drops off the product in 30 minutes or something like that. That's kind of how I see the envision the future. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I remember oh, back in 2008, there were companies already testing pizza delivery through drone in the valley, in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's that was the future for everything. At first, we laughed because it was pizzas. But then when you thought about it, everything comes that way eventually. And uh, that's, a, that's a natural extension of where this is going as well. So how will your, in any um, operator's revenue streams differ through this model than it does through their own dispensary? 
as part from being able to reach a larger segment of the population, obviously you're going to be geolocating them and ideally limiting to accessing areas where they can purchase, not everywhere else. So there's going to be geotagged, obviously, to make sure that we run inside of all of the legal parameters. One thing that you're not going to have, or well, you're still going to have it, you're going to have your, your brick and mortar dispensary, but in the metaverse dispensary, you will not have the same amount of staff or overhead. Of course. Be much less. Um, well, essentially, you're, thing- you're getting rid of all that extra staff to the point of the order entry <laughs> and the person fulfilling. Correct. Correct. And, uh, you know, these dispensaries still have delivery guys anyway. People call it in and they get oh, delivered yeah. or, or they do an online portal. But, you know, sure, it's just like DoorDash or Uber Eats, people, right? Saves a lot of much steps. less people inside of the actual retail store, as far as I could see. Second, behind the scenes as an operator, one of the biggest challenges as a dispensary owner is credit card and debit processing. Yeah. Um, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then also just trying to find a place to get rid of the cash to, you know, bank the cash. Like everyone's trying to get a massive piece. Oh, I'll, I'll deposit your cash for 7%. It's just like people don't understand that cannabis companies are not operating on these crazy margins. After the, after the government gets done with you, there's not a ton of margin in cannabis, even when you control it from seed to consumer. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think there's a big misconception about how much money cannabis people make, but I think especially if you do from seed to consumer, you're making a lot less than if you're able to identify one or two uh, areas within the vertical that you're able to specialize and focus on. Unless it's retail. Retail is operated about the same margin as a restaurant. Oh, yeah. As a standalone. But Mm -hmm. the other, so the Candleland will have a token and that token will be like a currency inside. It'll be a, it'll be a cryptocurrency and you can, that token will be the currency inside of the Caniverse, and obviously mm-hmm. you can flip it into another crypto or flip it into fiat as quickly as you'd like as an operator. But right. now we get away, we get rid of all of the banking issues and the credit card issues and everything else. So I think that's another big win from the operational side. Absolutely. And you're going to build your own crypto or are you going to use something like CanCoin or CanaCoin, which is already uh, out there? There will be a native token that's exclusive to uh, Caniverse, correct? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, because I mean, that resolves the problem for the consumer. Uh, absolutely, is, uh, you know, having that segue and that in between, it also s- solves a problem for the uh, the retailer who's collecting the fees, because now they're not going to have to go through all the same banking issues and issues that, you know, along the way that they deal with. Have you looked at actually making that something which can be traded so the, you know, the, the retailer can use it with their suppliers? Um, most definitely. So we actually want all of the suppliers as well to occupy the Canaland um, Caniverse mm-hmm. because, um, you know, we want not just the direct retail operators and cultivators, but also the secondary guys, the lighting guys, the nutrient guys. We want them all to have a presence here. It's like a big cohesive ecosystem. It's not just the dispensaries. And so we want people to be able to advertise their nutrient systems for the home connoisseur that likes to grow yep. or their lighting system or whatever, or maybe the guy that installs the best security systems. He has a presence there because he wants to be well known to everybody that's in cannabis, not just the largest uh, operators. So, and I'll give you another example. So I was at a show in New York last week and um, I met up with Redman from Wu-Tang Clan Yep. And he's created a new political party, a cannabis political party, actually. And oh, yeah. he wants to, you know, he feels that this is the next big thing, the future of politics, as, uh, you know, the uh, the existing political parties continue to erode. Yep. And so he's like, 
hey, you know, I'd love to set up a political office for my political party inside of uh, Canaverse. Okay, great. So we're in the works on setting that up for them now. You know, interesting. Yeah. So it's it's basically a big, you know, playland for anything cannabis centric. Um, but, you know, obviously the heavy revenue drivers would be the consumers and the dispensaries and everything else. But, you know, we plan on having big concerts in the in Candleland, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg, Whisper and stuff like that. So there's going to be entertainment factors and there's going to be, you know, another idea I had is um, I thought was pretty cool was you basically buy NFT seeds of your favorite strain and you plant the seeds digitally and you grow them in a digital like video game environment. Uh, and then there's actually a professional in a big warehouse that's growing those plants for you in real life. And then you cut them, you harvest them, you, you know, uh, trim them, dry them, cure them. And then that product that you actually grew digitally then gets delivered to you for a, for a premium. Sure. The consumer can actually sit there and place the order in June for delivery in October and monitor the, the plant and know what's how, what's being applied to yeah. it at every stage of the grow. Yeah. It makes them, gives them a little bit more of an emotional attachment to, you know, the end, their end result. Mm-hmm. So that was another idea I'm, I'm kind of um, exploring as well. So, you know, the metaverse is a, I mean, it's an infinite thing in reality, but there's a lot of people talking about different aspects of it and how it's going to come into to play. And, you know, years ago, there was the, uh, I can't remember the name of it, it wasn't Second Life, it was something else similar that um, Starwood was building mock hotels in to test the flow of the c- customer through the hotel and from that, I think they built, from their information they gathered, they helped build their Indigo hotels uh, a couple of years later. With what you're building, how do you think businesses will use it to modify their offline behavior and their choices? I believe, I believe over time, most, most sales transition to a digital format. I believe people start to, will start to retreat from brick and mortar analog businesses because they become very cumbersome from an overhead standpoint. Yep. E-commerce crushes brick and mortar because of your expenses. Of course. Um, so if you can, if you can give the consumer that immersive shopping experience they're looking for or a place to hang out that has a lot of enjoyable things to do. I think that, you know, as much as I love the real world, I think at the end of the day, digital probably, probably takes a, a stranglehold on it. No, I, I agree. But, you know, with that, like as the digital marketplace has developed, it changed the fundamental nature of the traditional retail. And it changed how the consumer interacted in a lot of their purchase decisions. They go to the retail store, try things on, but then order them online because it was a favorable pricing. And retail had to adjust and make adjustments along the way. How do you think that's going to happen in this industry? I think it will. I think that the brick and mortars will have to offer something very unique and exclusive and differentiate from the masses, almost like a high-end designer retail, like a, like a Louis Vuitton or something where they're offering, you know, $500 ace because it's, it's special like this. Or it, they're going to have to offer something super luxurious, something where you get a, a full ex, immer- like experience inside of the retail in order to try to compete with the digital world over time. But I, um, I, I, I'm pretty bearish on brick and mortar retails as we enter this next phase in, in you know, mankind. I, I don't see them doing well. 
Yeah, I mean, building building a new mall isn't necessarily a great investment today. <laughs> no, I walked through a lot of malls in the Midwest, and they're like ghost towns. It's kind of creepy, actually, because when I was a kid in the 90s, um, the malls were the place to hang out. That was one of the hottest spots for you know young teenage kids to be. And now I stop by a mall for whatever reason. It's like, look, the, the transformation is incredible of, of what they've become. Yeah, and so many of them are being converted to other purposes at this point. Uh, well, it housing, is, you know, vertical farming, whatever it may be, there's, we can repurpose these massive buildings. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's progress and the like, but you know, that as a business like, you know, Canaland grows where I'm getting at is you've gone all the various steps between the seed being planted and the consumer receiving the product. What area do you think gets transformed most quickly as it moves into a metaverse uh, delivery from the consumer, you know where where do you see that um, compression happening? Well, the, the the one issue I see that that can't be transferred is growing the actual cannabis because you need quality bud at the end of the process. Yeah, that'll never happen digitally. Like, what are we, you know? What are we gonna? Is a computer gonna inject THC into your veins? Mm-hmm. So you're never gonna get away from massive warehouses cultivating cannabis and curating products in their you know kitchens, laboratories, etc. That's always going to be there. What I see going away and getting compressed the quickest is obviously the dispensary. Um, right. We're now being trained to not leave our houses and things like COVID and political factors and uh, you know CO2 footprints is pushing us to stay at home much more than before. And I see people wanting instantaneous results. I see them with their sweatpants sitting at a computer and doing a you know doing an online shopping experience inside of a virtual reality. And then wanting right. those products dropped off as quickly as possible at their house so that they can in, enjoy the, you know, the fruits of their, of their quote unquote labor that they just did. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's come back to more on that after a quick break. I'm Richard Zwickin. We'll be back with Matt Morgan, who is in Advisor Canaverse, which is building out Canaland, a uh, interesting metaverse uh, marketplace for cannabis. Back in a moment. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on The Green Peak with Matt Morgan, who's an advisor to Canvas and really heavily uh, invested now into the uh, concept of a Canvas metaverse marketplace, which, you know, is a natural progression for the industry as it has been for many. You know, Matt, one of the things I look at is there's a lot of firms which are trying to build brands and they're trying to figure out how to recreate the brand across different state lines, how to manage that standardization and reach the consumers and build out new distribution channels market by market. Something like a metaverse-based cannabis marketplace obviously facilitates that. It also makes it much easier to test and, you know, sink or swim in terms of discovering, does it, is it going to fail fast or is it going to succeed? Do you see that changing how brands are being developed? Because cannabis brands are, are not like a traditional brand in the marketplace because you don't have that easy distribution. How does this help? So and from my experience, um, cannabis, okay. When you have a brand like Budweiser or Bud Light, they have massive uh, distilleries, they have massive manufacturing plants, and they can ship all over from that one center point. Yeah, and you drive around and you see their signs on the sides of building the buildings they occupy, which we can't with uh, cannabis, right? You know, you could probably fit like twenty football fields in there. But the thing is, with cannabis, you can't do that because if we if we cross state lines, we go to jail. 
And that becomes the issue when you want to create a national footprint with a brand is you have to try to find, you know, 20, 30, 40 operators in different states that are all producing the exact same product at the exact same specs. And I have not really seen that successfully done. One brand's product in one state may be amazing, and then you go to get the same brand in another state, and it's, it's trash. Yep. So that's been a big issue in cannabis for the last several years as brands have tried to uh, expand. Um, I don't really see us getting around that until they open up the state line issue, because even though we now have a digital format in the metaverse for cannabis companies, that product still has to be cultivated and manufactured in that specific state. Mm-hmm. And so we can't build you know, a half million dollar cult of, or half million square foot cultivation and, you know, extraction lab and then ship it all over the country. Until we can do that, I don't see any uniform in the products with the brands. I'd, I'd actually, I, I would agree with regards to flour, but I think when you get into edibles and other things where you can standardize in a much greater degree the, uh, the recipes, but also the outcome products, you're able to create that standardization. So I would agree with you as long as the inputs are identical. Um, one thing I've seen is that let's say that you're going for a nighttime edible, an indica edible. Mm-hmm. Um, indica can mean a lot of things. It doesn't have indica terpenes. Doesn't have- People throw the terms around without really recognizing Yeah, it. so it's like, a, and I've used edibles to sleep for over 10 years now, mm-hmm. every single night. And thank God for that, or I'd probably have to use pharmaceuticals. I, I stay far away from, you know, synthetic pharmaceuticals for a lot of reasons, but right. I've had issues with different indica dominant edibles in different states because the inputs have been different. Even though they have the, the recipe book and they actually have the process, you know, the, the processes inside of that that manual, um, sometimes they can't find the exact same inputs. Sure, but but they should, in theory, they should be able to make the exact same product. But unfortunately, I've seen I've seen that you know go sideways a couple of times. Yeah, and standardization is a challenge in this industry because you know if you're growing. Even a minor alteration in the environment is going to result in a dramatically different output from the plant, right? Output and then goes to an input, right? So that output then affects the new input into that edible. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in in other industries, let's say like tomatoes, there isn't that degree of variability when you go into production. Correct. Correct. So, you know, I wish I had like a silver bullet here to, you know, tell people how to standardize their brand across the country, but until the federal government pulls their head out of their butt. Um, I think we're going to just continue with a bit of challenges. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's been normal in many other industries. You, you brought up beer. Um, you know, I grew up in Montreal and there Molson's a huge brewery. When I was growing up, Molson Canadian in Montreal was horrible, but you came out to the West coast and it was really nice. The formula right. was different. Um, I don't know if it was a political statement or not, but the formula was different <laughs> in the in the different areas. And uh, you know, that's that's how unfortunately a lot of things evolve when you do have interstate boundaries and barriers. The products can never be standardized as much as we want. Correct. Um, you know, and that's a that's a standard challenge here. So, you know, as you go to launch, what do you see as the biggest challenge to getting this really yeah. get the necessary market uptake to support its continued development? A lot of cannabis operators are set in their ways. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have an imagination that runs wild and I have, you know, since I was a kid. So I, I have an easy time visualizing things and architecting them in my mind of what I think the future is going to be. Yep. I believe the most challenging thing will be getting the 
the tip of the spear of each of these companies or the CEO to, to see the same vision that I do of how our society moves forward in the future. Um, I think a lot of operators are going to, are going to call BS and say, I don't think this is how it's going to go. Sure. Um, and that's the same of, that's the same as true of a lot of retailers. They didn't believe correct, online. Correct. And now they're paying the ultimate price, you know, even uh, Walmart and Target are sucking wind to, uh, to, to Amazon, but they, they never thought in a million years this was, this was how it was going to go. What about Kodak? They thought digital cameras were a fad. Yep. They bankrupted them. Mm-hmm. So now, I built like, my first business back in 98 online and every one of the suppliers thought I was full of it right. until I started selling like crazy. And my, you know, my wisdom for these people is if you don't adapt, you die. Yep. Either adopt or you could run the risk of going under, right? But I, I see clear as day that our society is heading to a digital format. And, um, you know, it's going to be challenging for, for brick and mortar retailers moving forward, in my opinion, not just in cannabis, just in general. And yeah. you've already seen the big whack that, you know, e-commerce has done to, to brick and mortar retail. Absolutely. Absolutely. And continues, right? Because they see a good product in brick and mortar that's taking off and they knock it off for their own online distribution. Of course. And they can do it cheaper, faster. Yep. Much less overhead, and they can deliver the product at a better price. They can buy in quantity, which gives them better price. Absolutely. Deep which is going to be a risk in this it. industry. <laughs> I think, yeah, you know, we're starting to see a lot of margin compression, a lot of racing to the bottom, and probably going to see a lot of massive consolidation over the next few years, in my opinion. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time for today, Matt, but um, thanks for coming on. It's been a really interesting discussion with regards to, you know, your view. And I think, you know, a lot of it is bang on with regards to the metaverse and uh, where cannabis is going to fit into the development thereof. Um, thanks for joining us. I'd love to have you on again in a few months when uh, Canaland's a bit further out there and you're starting to see the uptake uh, as interest. It'll be, it'll be interesting to do a check-in on that. Um, thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak, and we'll be back again with you next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.